Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with Stephanie Bound, the organizational psychologist helping organizations and teams around the world come together to make a difference. Tune in as we chat about how she found her niche developing and coaching high-performance teams, her brilliant book, Purpose, Passion, and Performance, and how businesses of all sizes can build a thriving culture. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to Design Your Life. How are you doing? Hey, Vince. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. We've been trying to do this for three quarters of a year, I think it was, that we met at the Eco Outdoor Conference in Sydney at the Paramount um, yeah. Hotel. And yeah. Um, yeah, we bumped into each other there and heard great things about you and, 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 uh, and what you do. And so I thought it would be a really good guest to have on our podcast. Oh, it's a delight to be here. Yes, I do remember that, that beautiful afternoon. You were about to do a live podcast from the roof of the Paramount, I think it was. Yeah, and, um, yeah that was... Yeah, everyone was super excited and it was just a really great meeting. I felt like we had a lot to say and very, very little time in which to say it. So it's very nice to have this chat now. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was very kind of, uh, seemed like a very busy schedule that they had going on there. Um, I was interviewing Adam Haddow from SJB, which was a real privilege and fun to do a live podcast in front of all the eco team. And um, yeah, they were so receptive. I think they, they just come from your workshop um, and... Um, you know they're all glowing and excited so what did you talk about yeah let's come back to that <laughs> yeah oh. i was i yeah. was warming them up for the main act Vince. um yeah look they had a great day to launch they planned to get their whole team together to launch their new business strategy so i've been working with the executive team of eco to build a one-page plan a strategic plan that incorporated a view on customer experiences and people experiences and their new kind of uh, focus for their culture to really revamp and live their values. So they launched a new purpose and values set for the business. It really kind of captured the heart and soul of the business, which I believe you'd been working with them on for a little while. So it was really nice. Uh, It was a really great day. It was a really big celebration, actually, of where they'd come as an organization um, and where they were heading and the role that everybody in that business was going to play. And just, just a day to get everybody really excited about the possibility of the future. So I, I had, um, you know, the, the great job of emceeing for them and delivering a couple of kind of keynote messages on strategy and culture. And then they just got to hear from all of their brilliant team members and they just walked out of that day feeling so pumped up. So it was really nice to, you know, send them off on a high note to your event at the end of the day. Oh, it wasn't, le- it wasn't really leading to my event, but I think I was just a bit of entertainment <laughs> If you call it yeah. that, yeah. Um, but yeah. I think that um, what's really exciting was that Ben had the foresight to bring you in to do that work with you, to do the work with us around the brand, and simultaneously mm-hmm. pull it together with the culture, with the team, 
and have the, yeah. the team kind of focused and, and heading in the right direction with the whole brand refresh that we did around Crafted with Wonder. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, for us, I guess, you and I, we see this day in, day out on clients that we work yeah. with. Um, but business is inherently hard. And mm. I know this time of the year specifically where we're doing our planning for the, the kind of the budgeting and the business planning that we're doing and the focus for the next 12 months plus, it really does, um, you know, no wonder people call you up and say, hey, can you help us through this? Uh, because I'm about to do that myself, I think. Um, but yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's, just talk, let's just talk about um, yeah, your, your background um, and how you started off. I understood you, you live in Byron now, but you're from Melbourne originally? Yeah, correct. Yes. So my background is um, organizational psychology professionally. Um, Grew up in Melbourne, raised a family in Melbourne and decided, if we're talking about design your life, uh, you know, decided really quite, quite seriously about 10 years ago to live a life by design. So we, uh, we decided to throw everything in and take a chance and move to move to the place we were hoping to retire in actually which yeah. which actually was the beginning decision point for a whole lot of other things that cascaded from that like well how do we live out there um you know what do we how do we kind of make an income what kind of lifestyle do we want to live so that was the the the, the precursor to starting my own uh practice my own performance consulting practice but prior to that i'd been working um following doing universities and org psych in a management consulting context. So I'd been working with organizations around Australia through NAUS Group, which are a really uh, well, well uh, respected consulting company in Australia. And I'd been working on leadership programs and organizational change programs mm-hmm. and strategy programs through that. So that was a really great place for me to learn about how to bring in kind of the, the, the theory of how to help people perform at work into the reality of working with organizations themselves. Um, and I also managed to have a really great opportunity to go in-house for a while as a performance partner at an organization called Swiss Wellness, which a lot of Australians will know them because they've been the number one multivitamin brand in the country for a long time. And uh, I was at a really seminal point for them. So I got to really put all of these ideas and practices and methods to the test and stick around and see how they stuck and see how they worked. So I had a whole lot of confidence, I guess, around my methods and how that they would help organizations. And that gave me the push to start my own practice when I uh, moved to Byron. But how long ago did you move to Byron? Was it 10 years ago? Yeah, it's been, well, we're in our oh. eighth year now. So oh, okay. my, we moved from my kids were just about to start primary school and uh, they are now um, 10 and 12, my two boys. So I always count it based on their years at school, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we decided we'd, we'd take the chance and move just before they started school, because once you get your, yeah. your you know, your sort of roots into a school community, it's it's much harder to leave. So we wanted to get them started here, and you know, we always knew that we could leave Byron with our tails between our legs and go back to Melbourne if it never worked out. That <laughs> yeah. was always our fallback option. You know, we've got family there, lots of great friends, good good professional network. So it was a risk worth taking. And uh, we're so glad we did because we are um, we are working constantly working towards this idea of a life by design, and I think we're slowly getting better at it. But hey, life's a learning curve, so uh, always takes a little bit of iteration. Yeah, I mean it's 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 really cool to see you create a success with that, and um, I guess initially probably wanting to kind of ex- well, I don't know if you're trying to escape the world or the kind of the busyness of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, 
to a place that's absolutely stunning and beautiful um mm. and i guess alternative in a lot of ways as well but in those la mm. in the last eight years you must have seen an incredible difference uh, as it transformed because it's been the place to be now especially with the pandemic it's been everyone kind of flocked there actors yeah. and everybody from around the world yeah absolutely yeah look i think i think people were saying when we moved it's really changing we're getting a lot of people from melbourne and sydney moving to byron already at that stage mm. and i can absolutely see the attraction i grew up visiting this place for holidays and so did my husband and we both realized how much we loved it when we met so it was always a place that was close to our hearts it was always a place we dreamed about retiring to um, and I think the what's been interesting about what's changed in Byron over this time is that the um, definitely you know property prices have changed the, the the cost of living is very very different in Byron now as compared to the local surrounding areas I do think the start the soul of it is the same though in that it, it, it's 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 a beautiful break it's a beach break that's just stunning so it keeps attracting people who are very passionate about surfing and the sea and living by the ocean so that's that type of person is still the main character that lives and loves byron and so the um you know that the people that have come in still really have those those values and i felt that when we joined the the school community and we and the, and the soccer club and the kids and we sort of understood that that the heart of this community is a community of people who are you know open-minded entrepreneurial in spirit very mm. community focused yeah. uh you know it's, it's very much about keeping a sustainable ecosystem alive um respecting one another looking after one another i mean anybody that's grown up in a small town would know this that there's only one degree of separation between everybody in the town and so wow. you get to uh, really like understand that this is a pretty small village. Everybody does know each other. And you don't have that level of connectivity in a, in a city environment. That's, that was the biggest mm. differentiator that I noticed moving to a regional town. And I really loved that, this sort of sense that we're all here to support each other in this community and our kids are growing up with other families, other parents that we all sort of form a network around them. Mm. So I think that that soul is still very much there. Definitely the, the, the price points are different, um, but the, the values, I guess, that align people are, are very much the same. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that, that that's the same ethos in organisations, you know. It attracts and keeps people who align with a set of core values that that's yeah. sort of the glue, the underlying sort of foundational um, social connectivity that keeps people energised around a community. That's so cool that you're still as passionate now as you were eight years ago prior uh, to being there and living there. Um, yeah. It's really, really cool. I'm actually heading up there on Thursday for a couple of days, ah. um, staying at Ray's, which I cannot wait. Oh, um, fantastic. We have a lot in common in terms of kind of wanting to help individuals and organizations to be the best they can be. Can you mm. unpack that? Like, where, did, where does that come from for, from you? For you? Um, did you kind of grow up feeling that? Yeah, look, I feel that for me, um, it was a really pivotal moment when I made the decision that I wanted to work in an organizational context. And I had visited my, uh, I was going through sort of university career decisions, you know, you know, in the age of sort of year 10, year 15 years old, and you've got to start making choices about subjects. So my uncle was an organizational psychologist and my dad sent me oh, to wow. him to do a whole battery of tests, which was so great because I was considering a, a number of different pathways at that age. Um, but I'd always been interested in psychology. And when he went through all the tests with me, with me um, he, he was fantastic. He sat me down and he said, you know, I really think that you would make a great psychologist. You've got all the right kind of 
traits and, and the intelligence level and all the other bits and pieces you kind of need to, to be successful in that role. And, um, and then he said something really pivotal. He said, well, the only decision you need to make now is whether you want to work with healthy people or, or sick people. So it's whether you want to bring unwell people to an, a, a, a normal state or work with yeah. people at that normal yeah. level and take them to flourishing. Wow. And I was like, oh, I instantly knew I want to work with, you know, people to help them flourish. That That's really where I want to be. So that kind of instantly set me on that organizational psychology path around helping people work in, you know, create creating thriving communities at work. So um, there's a lot that sits around that. But I think it really is about how do you work with organizational leaders to help them understand how they can create the conditions for thriving. You know, it's very hard to force people to flourish and to force people to thrive. There's too many factors that contribute to our state of happiness and performance. Um, but what we can influence are these kind of conditions. We can create the right kind of conditions for, for flourishing. Um, you know, much like, you know, you want to create the right conditions for a garden to grow. So it's, um, so what I'm really fascinated is what you can do, you know, in organizational design and organizational systems to really allow for that to occur. And um, I think my whole career has just really been about discovering that. I know when we're doing a refresh of a brand or helping someone, yeah. helping a startup create a brand, et cetera, that kind of feels like a familiar uh, situation, but every, there's nuances, there's, there's differences, of course, with each and every person. Do you find that too when, you're, when you've been asked to come into a large organization? Is there kind of a familiar situation that they need you for? I mean, is yeah, it because they they're too close to it or is that why they, get, they bring you in? They can't do it themselves. Oh, okay. So, what are the reasons why people want to work with somebody like me? Yeah, or thanks. Thanks for translating that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'd be interested in asking you your the same question. You know, I'd totally be interested right. in knowing your perspective. But I think, um, I mean, my understanding of it is that you know, sometimes it's like the, it's it's the the challenge of being able to understand your own psychology, right? Like I. I need to have my own coach and I need to have my own therapist and I need to have my own doctor. I can't diagnose myself even though I am yeah. a psychologist. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it really helps to have that objective, fresh perspective. Um, you know, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to live on both sides of the fence, to be the consultant just dipping in and out and also to be the in-house, you know, kind of permanent performance coach who was there living and breathing the culture with everybody else. And I think there are advantages to having both of those types of people in your business. You know, much like you, Vince, you, you're able to bring that sort of fresh perspective to how do you bring a brand to life and understand what's, yeah. what's its, the core of the success of that brand. Similarly, working with people in-house who are trying to do the same thinking, I think really the, the, the energy comes off, yes, I've got a series of principles and practices that I can apply but the real magic comes from how do we how do we put the two things together? What's real and authentic for your organization versus what works for the many? And I think that yeah. that's that's a really great place to play. I mean, how do you find that balance? What do you, what are some of the things you do? Well, I, I think I think yeah, I agree with you. I, I think using Ben as an example in Eco Outdoor, I think when a company sees the value in both sides of that, it's almost like art and commerce or mm. the business planning and brand planning and strategy together they see that as one as you get far more stronger outcomes because if you just do brand by itself often you know sometimes <laughs> then the business itself might not be uh running at the best kind of situation or might not be aligned it, it, it can yeah. be 
a, a refreshing a brand doesn't fix necessarily a, a dysfunctional business, if you like. And that's that's extreme, yeah. I guess. You know, you might look better, but you you're not acting any differently, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But I, I I find it I find it really interesting because obviously we're all about helping people be the, be the best they can be, and we want people to create a situation yeah. where people flourish in their businesses, flourish in their lives around designing your yeah. life, etc. Uh, mm. Even our own our own culture here in the studio um, in Alexandria in Sydney, we're about forty plus people, and yeah. you know I always say I want to create an environment for people our people to thrive in. Interesting times right now with people mm. moving to Byron and elsewhere and still yeah. connected with the cities through the technology that we're yeah. working with now. Can you thrive just as well from home or can you thrive just as well with that kind of part working from home, part working in a working environment? Yeah, gosh, this is this is the question at the moment, isn't it? How do we create a thriving culture when we've got half the people not physically present with one another? Yeah. Um, look, I think I think my answer to that question is about you know, probably more about what are the conditions? How do you create the conditions for thriving? And you said the key word then, which was connection. You know, it's it's how do you help individuals and organizations form meaningful connections and how do we, like a brain, increase the level of interconnectivity between people and between departments and between teams and between the seniors and the juniors and between everybody. So... Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the things that I talk to organizations about is, is increasing and enhancing that level of interconnectivity and divorcing ourselves from those very old, outdated paradigms of hierarchical structures, um, you know, siloed reporting lines and things like that. Those th- we need reporting lines in organizations because they determine how decisions are made and how information can be distributed. But what they shouldn't do is block people working across teams, across lines, across divisions and across levels. Mm-hmm. And what happens is those those kind of organizational structures create an organization in the mind or a way of thinking about who I'm allowed to talk with and when and how. So mm-hmm. I think that it, you know, really that's a long way of saying it doesn't necessarily matter whether you are at home or in an office. What matters is how you're designing your organization to allow for connection, interconnectivity. So you could have a whole team of people working in an office and they're not actually talking to each other outside of their kind of one-on-one chats with their manager or their customers. You know, they they don't know who sits over who Daniel in departments in in finance is because they've never bothered to go and talk. Um, You know, so, so you could have everyone in an office, but do they have a great culture and a level of connection where they really truly understand what they're working on cohesively as a whole? Not necessarily, you know. So... Um, there's definitely advantages to physically getting people together, 100%, because we, there's so much we communicate beyond just our words and you know the the the, the three by three inch screen on a on a on a computer screen. You know we communicate with our body language, we communicate with how we sit and where we sit in rooms and how we walk around places. There's so much that we lose when we don't spend time in an office together. But I don't believe that just being in an office together generates connectivity either. No. So no, really, no. you know, when I, if we're thinking about design and how do we create organizations where people thrive, it really is your organizational design. It's how you structure it. It's how you structure how and when people meet. And it's how you structure and talk about what is your vision and strategy and what is your culture and how do we keep those things aligned to the way people operate. So... Um, the core of it, you know, really depends on 
those, you know, what I talk about as systems of performance. It's how you do strategy. It's how you do culture. And it's how you do leadership. It's how you do those three things that ultimately aligns and connects people to work together and not in these siloed, hierarchical, kind of, um, you know, highly standardized ways, which worked in the industrial era when everything was standardized and kind of production line and predictable. Um, But we've got machines doing a lot of that work now. So now we're in... We're in the knowledge era. We're in the actually we're in the AI era, right? So now what we need yeah. is people thinking together, working together, innovating ways, coming up with creative solutions. Working in these kind of lines doesn't actually enable that to happen anymore. So we have to change the way that we're actually connecting and talking in order to stay relevant and be at the edge of our, um, you know, at the edge of our market, the edge of competition with our market. So we're innovating and we're staying, uh, you know, we're actually meeting the need of the market. So, uh, so the design of the organization is hugely important and the way we connect is hugely important. You must, you must meet so many people who are just starting out with an idea, starting business from, from scratch. Mm. Uh, and then you're dealing with big organizations that have been around for forever. Do people, because obviously when you start out, you're hungry, yeah. determined, you're excited, you're young, uh, you're fit, um, you've got big ideas, you're highly ambitious. Mm. Um, you can see where this is going. <laughs> Do people who have been in business for a long time? This is your yes. avatar, Vince. This is your yeah, like, yeah, like, self. Yeah. Hey guys, <laughs> this is not me, okay? But do people do people get vision it. vision fatigue? You know, do do people go like, Christ, it's thirty years. I got to come up with another. What's what's the next ten years look like? What's the next five years look look mm-hmm. like? What does the next six months look like? God forbid, because it's like yes. things have been. I guess with with you know, and we keep talking about COVID because it's only recently gone away semi gone away um but that was highly disruptive um yeah. we're in a new in, we're in a new kind of a time uh and now ai is coming along fast to disrupt us even further help but possibly really disrupt mm. us mm. is 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 kind of that kind of do you find many people kind of saying the same similar thing like you know i i just don't know where to go i i mean do we just kind of stay kind of um solid mm. Um, mm. Or do we be ambitious and do we, you know, what is, where should we take our organization? Um, mm. Do people generally know where to go or are they looking mm. for help in terms of unpacking that? Mm. Yeah, God, it's a great question. I think that, um, look, if we think about the life of a business, right, the life of an organization, typically, as you said, it starts with a founder and it has the founder's energy. And they have a very clear vision for how they want to grow it. Now, how long that vision lasts and what that vision really is about is about the intention of the founder. So are they growing a business ultimately to grow an asset, you know, to to sell an asset? Or are they growing a legacy business that they're going to hand down to their families? So their initial intention will have a bit of an impact on how that business rolls out in the future. But ideally, what you want for an organization to grow, for a business to grow and be sustainable, it reaches a certain kind of point, a critical mass point where that leader, that entrepreneur or that CEO can no longer be across everything. So they need to start leaning into, and you've, you've, you've talked about this, you know, it's like I can't do the business of the business by myself. I need to start to create accountability and ownership and delegate so that I can do what I do and have the people around me that can do their things. Um, so that, that then, that's when at that point that it becomes things like strategy and culture and leadership become relevant because we need to have a, a, a kind of cohort of people, leaders, who really get where we're heading and why we're heading that way so that they can coordinate and align the activities of all the people in the business 
moving in the same direction because when we're working together in an aligned way, we're a force, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's happening nowadays is that the the purpose of the organization, the reason it exists the, is the value that it adds essentially, you know, that, that, that purpose, that value that it adds is constantly needing to be assessed and checked because a rapidly increasing levels of competition in a marketplace, very crowded marketplace. So our reason for existing, our value add needs to be compelling and unique for customers to want to choose us over others. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the competition increases, but secondly, uh, the pace of change is increasing so rapidly as well. So um, what was relevant to us during COVID, you know, may no longer be now or even pre-COVID. So our ideals are changing about as customers and, and buyers about what's important. Um, you know, the legislation's changing really quickly. The broader context of legislation's changing rapidly. So there's there's far more sort of scrutiny now on the sustainability promise of an organisation, on the cybersecurity responsibilities of an organisation, um, their responsibilities to the mental health and wellbeing of their staff, right? So all these things keep layering in. So if you want to lead and run an organisation, you need to know that your reason for existing, how you add value to your market is pertinent and real and compelling and you need to know that the rest of the business is aligned around that and working towards that. So I think vision, um, it's something that starts, it germinates as a founder, it grows and it needs to exist and live within the leadership team. They need to sort of buy in and own it and share and contribute to it. And as the market shifts and changes, we need to keep reassessing whether that vision is still relevant and meaningful and makes sense, you know, and that, that that's what we're communicating to the people within us. And ultimately, you know, often with the life of an organization, the founder might eventually decide to sell his or her share and kind of step away or step back or sit on a board and manage that business. What they want to see is that it, it exists and survives beyond their tenure. So it becomes yeah. this this kind of organization, this business that has a legacy that continues to grow and feed lots and lots of mouths and create a difference in the world. And that's, that's, that must be extraordinarily gratifying for a lot of business leaders who've managed to do that, to break it past the point of needing them in it for it to exist and operate. And I think that's like the ultimate of, you know, business management, leadership, ownership, when you can do that, when you can physically have a system that exists and operates independently of you, the creator and the founder. So there's a whole lot that has to go into creating that dynamic. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's exceptional when that can happen. Um, so, yeah, so again, a long answer to your question. That's the reason why we do need to keep talking about vision and purpose and we need to keep it alive. That's the podcast. Mm. It's over. You just said everything. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, this is your book, yes. The Three Ps. Um, I can't read it back to front. <laughs> Purpose, Passion, and Performance. Uh, it came, tw- came out in 2020. Yeah. Um, obviously, the book about leadership drives purpose, culture drives passion, and strategy drives performance, just what you said before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really uh, cool. I mean, I guess it's, it must be so exciting and, and uh, rewarding to see uh, the businesses that you've coached and ha- had interactions with change uh, for the better. Mm. Um, to talk a bit about that without naming them specifically talk about how you might have changed an organization um, because I, I think a, a lot of leaders mm. and, and a lot of organizations are looking for help 
they kind yeah. of often feel that they should know the answer sometimes. Um, but um, often, as I said before, like when people come to us to kind of refresh their brand uh, or yeah. start, a, start an organization and create a brand, um, they just can't see it. They got the idea um, that they're kind of kicking around, but they can't see it. It gets kind of complex, and I guess it's a yeah. simplification of of their purpose and helping them to kind of get to that point of this is why I'm a business, this is what we believe in as an organization, this is mm. how we act, this is how we breathe, this is how we talk, etc. Um, but talk about organizations that you've worked with, small and large, that um, you know might, what might what what might have been some of their issues that they called you in for, and what mm. were the outcomes. Yeah, look, it's, um, it, it often follows a bit of a pathway, not necessarily, but it often follows this pathway of there's a leadership team, they're newly formed, the CEO's just got the brand new, you know, whiz-bang talent in and they, they have realised they need to realign around their purpose and their vision and they've got a set of strategy. So, um, so I tend to come in on one of those, those three arms of leadership, culture and strategy because those are the three things that drive the three Ps in organisations and that's how I think about it. Um, and I, it's very actually in reality quite hard to tease apart leadership, culture and strategy, but, but I think it's important too because there are different ways of doing them. Um, and I think so often it starts with strategy because often it starts with a leadership team needing to align around their, uh, their vision and their strategic plan and their purpose. So we'll do that piece of work. We'll often sort of go away on a strategy kind of, you know, workshop or retreat it's great when they come to Byron, but that doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> Often I'm in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or sometimes overseas. Uh, and we'll create this great kind of piece of work, this plan. It's a simple plan on a page that kind of really defines what they're trying to do, but in simple terms and simple language so that it's an easy communication tool. And then they're like, okay, what next? You know, so how do we actually get our business and our people are like really excited about this as a opportunity possibility you know a, a kind of a lever for growth for individual growth and career growth in the business um, as well as an example of how we want to be as an organization so that often then leads to the culture discussion because you can have a great plan but if you, unless you've got a kind of culture of really engaged people that plan's not going to get executed very well so that leads to a culture conversation and often where we where we look at culture is we start really looking at measuring people measuring culture so engagement is the is the typically the ultimate measure of culture and all the factors that drive engagement so adopting measurement tools to actually look at it and create a bit of a plan around what does it look like for us to lift engagement and what are the actions and things we need to put in place to uh to really amplify engagement and live our values so that tends to become really important and then the third you know, arc to it is is really leadership. So leaders are the ones that connect people to the strategy and set the goals and cascade and align the goals and the strategy. And they're also the ones that need to live those values that we say we're going to live. They need to role model those values. Because um, it's one thing to kind of put in place a whole series of interventions on culture. So things like, you know, a great office and, um, you know, health and wellness days and uh, extra leave and salary benchmarking and all these things that drive, they're sort of like the hygiene levers of culture, if you like, but the real core levers of culture is how people act and behave every day in the way that they work together. And that is essentially a leadership task. Now, when I say leadership, I'm not just referring to the guys and girls who sit at the top of a hierarchical tree. Everybody is a leader, really. Everybody chooses to be a leader in the organization. 
Um, but typically it's worth starting with the people with the most delegated authority because they have the most influence. You know, they tend to be accountable for the outcomes of many. And so many are looking to them for example and guidance on how we should be working together and collaborating as teams in this business. So I often start with the leadership team to say, well, let's look at how you're behaving. And again, we use assessment tools. We use actual measurement diagnostics to look at behavior and help them understand and gain a level of self-awareness around the sort of stuff they're doing that's supportive and encouraging and enabling and the sort of stuff that they're doing that's not very supportive and not very encouraging and creating a bit of conflict or division that's not healthy and get them to face up to that kind of feedback and really understand what's driving it, uh, what are some of their personal motivators, what are some of their personal values and what are the what's the um, platform for them to personally change as individuals but also as a collective. So I think when you're getting that level of engagement at that senior leadership group, when they can be humble and they can take feedback on and they can demonstrate that they're willing to learn and grow, then you get this massive buy-in from the rest of the business. People start to trust them because they're being more, um, they're being more authentic. Uh, people start to want to believe in this team. They want to follow along. They're happy to take on goals and markers that are a little bit beyond where they are now. They're happy to stretch. They want to be part of a success story. But you're not going to buy into a success story with a team of leaders who aren't living up to what they say that everybody else should be, um, let alone collaborating with each other. So that that is the kind of linchpin to all of it, I really believe. And sort of now where my my work is moving more towards, I'm, I'm working more and more now just with leadership teams and really helping them find that that synergy, that team synergy that they need to effectively inspire people around their strategy and uh, and kind of live these cultural values. That's, that's super cool. And I love how passionate you are about it too. Like you do it every day, but you're still 100% yeah. passionate about that. Yeah, it's totally. interesting doing workshops. You must find in, in an organization with a whole bunch of people in the leadership team, you might find that people, not everybody's like wanting to be there in the first place. <laughs> like sometimes you're in a situation, a workshop, and there's a couple of people that get, you get warned about that person or they're really grumpy. They <laughs> want the business to be this or, you know, yeah. whatever. Because it also yeah. affects it. I guess in a way it highlights your higher, what, what is the right person for your organization once you get clarity mm -hmm. of purpose and, and wanting to kind of focus on, the, on the, getting the right person for maximum performance as well. Mm. Um, how do you bring people along on that journey who aren't, um, because we get that in kind of brand workshops often where you get mm -hmm. someone who's this like really anti-change or anti, you know, the organization itself or living in the past, not prepared to move forward. Like we, we hear this all the time in, 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 in workshops, but often they do come around. I know from our experience, people come around because you include them in the conversation um, yeah. as opposed to ignore, <laughs> ignoring them. That's the worst thing to do. But how, yeah. how, do, you, how do you manage to kind of bring, bring um you know, people from all walks of life um, and all different kind of levels of experience along on the journey to feel yeah. kind of they're part of it and get them aligned. Oh, Vince, I mean, you said it, right? It's, it's listen to them, you know, invite their perspective and their opinion. Typically what I find where people are warning me against an individual or they're a bit worried about that person or whatever, typically it's because they aren't, they haven't bought in, you know, and they haven't really felt heard. Um, so they might be holding on to something from the past, um, but there's been very little tolerance to understanding that thing that they've been holding on to. So um, my approach in workshops, you know, is to the, the very first thing I try and do in these sort of forums is create psychological safety, which is essentially it's okay to share your voice. 
um, we're all entitled to have difference of opinion. And in fact, yep. it's the difference that adds the value. So we need diversity of thinking. Um, yep. You know, I've actually just tapped back into Lencioni's uh, five dysfunctions of a team. And right at the bottom of the, like the, of the dysfunctions, it sits at the, like the, the base of dysfunction is trust. And second to it is fear of conflict. You know, so if you don't, if there's no trust in a group, we're not willing to kind of share our divergent views. And if we're not willing to share our divergent views, we're not willing to actually have constructive debate or constructive conflict. Um, and in fact, what happens is we get all this sameness, same thinking, and kind of we're looking like we're buying in at face value, but we're not really, you know, really mm. we're just going to go leave the meeting and moan about that meeting to everybody else, but, you know, who wasn't in the meeting rather than address the thing directly. So what's really important in the leadership team in particular is that we're actually really willing to, to, to be, you know, have our minds changed, you know, put our opinion into the mix, listen to other opinions and stack it, you know, build it up, build something that's better that we had before. And you can't do that unless you have diversity of thinking and you can't do that unless you hear from the person that's sitting there with their, you know, arms like this. It's like, I want to know what that person's thinking, right? I want to know what they want to say and need to say that they haven't been able to get off their chest until I've given them this chance now to do it and to get everybody to listen to that and then for everybody to have their opinion heard on that topic so we can work through it, right? So it's those moments and, I, and I've worked with uh, a couple of leadership teams recently. You can really tell when this is going on when there's a team that's dysfunctional or stuck in a dysfunctional dynamic when there's loads of silence and people are really tentative to offer any views mm. and the views that they offer are really sort of vanilla um, and, you know, anyone could have said it and... Uh, it's metaphorical in meaning and it's just kind of abstract. And, and, and when, it, when we're getting that, we're getting this like just real lack of really anything useful. Um, and, and when those things happen, what I often do is just say, right, let's, we're going to have a feedback session. So everybody's going to give each other feedback on um, how we're all, you know, how we show up in this room and how we show up in these meetings. Um, and we're going to listen to that feedback and we're going to reflect back what we heard and we're going to reflect back one of the one or two things we're going to start doing differently or doing more of because it's really helpful. So when that when that happens, when people are forced to do that, they actually realize, oh, shit, I didn't realize I was coming across that way. You know, <laughs> oh, I had no idea that that's how you felt, you know. And when when you open up those dialogues, when you get that level of connection, it's like, oh, actually... Yeah, I understand you. Yeah, I have empathy for you. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from and I can see why you're a little bit disengaged or disenfranchised. I understand that. You know, so if Mm. you can just put yourself here for a moment and listen and hear it, then you can go, oh, that's a good point. We hadn't considered it and we've been ignoring it and we do need to think about that, you know. So that's that's often what happens with those individuals. It's not that they've given up. They've just sort of been not heard. Um, and look, there are the, the odd occasions where the group will form their new dynamic, they'll form their new culture, they'll form their new vision and mission. And what will actually help happen is that the people that don't want to be in that room anymore, they self-select out, right? They leave. They leave the company. They they manage themselves out of an organization where it no longer... They don't longer go to buy around, do they? Oh. <laughs> they come That's here it. like I'm going absorb to buy the crystals yeah. and... <laughs> Put on um, the can well, or also, oh, come back to themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to be doing in the next couple of days. Um, with, with, um, it's interesting, too. Those workshops you're doing, it sounds incredibly exciting. Get everybody aligned, etc. Yeah. Everyone is busy in what they refer to as their day job because they're busy the doing yeah. whatever they have to do in the business. Any kind of form of change 
or adjustment to how they might be or act or work or you know you know all that kind of stuff um how do you, how do you, is is kind of inconvenient because you're kind of used to working a certain way or you know you have to kind of rethink things yeah how do you maintain that how do you ensure that people once you kind of created that kind of that that purpose and passion and the the vision etc mm-hmm. and how do you unpack that and in and enable people to activate it on a daily basis like i mean i imagine mm-hmm. me sometimes when people just go you know what, this is all too hard we've got it some people have activated it other people haven't you know i, I don't know I, it, what does that look like yeah you know it's a really how long at what point do you say you've evolved as a human being you know like i've, I've done all my learning and i'm fulfilled and you know like that just I don't think we ever really get there, to be honest. I think that we are constantly moving in the direction of something that, you know, a motivational force that we, we want to be part of something bigger and we want to keep evolving and changing ourselves. Um, so I think I think a group that doesn't devote any time or any effort into talking about the group dynamic or how the people in it are or how they are connecting and aligning as a group they suffer from getting stuck in the do. They do the do all the time. It's too important a priority to just get work done. Mm. Um, but they end up spinning their wheels because all of these negative dynamics are holding them back. You know, we get all this face mm. value agreement and no action. We get misunderstanding yeah. and misinterpretation of what it is we're trying to achieve. And we get really poor performance as a result because we're not working in an aligned way. We're working in a, like this way, you know. Um, you know, I think that the, often what happens, and I've seen this, especially in rapid growth startups, you've got the CEO in the middle and you've got their, their senior team reporting to them, usually about between seven and nine people are reporting to them. And they have all these like one-on-one chats with all of them. And they're saying seven different versions of the truth. And oh. those seven different, they might be most like 80% right, but 20% different. And then they mm. go to those people, go to their teams and they have another level of misinterpretation so you can understand how ultimately ceo says one thing and they get to the front line they're like what what how did this happen right and it's because they haven't actually formed that bond as a group together working in a room together to interpret the message get it clear and down on paper and communicate from the same hymn book Um, and then talk about well how do we want to communicate this message what's the way we're going to connect with our people you know, what do we agree on and disagree on here? Because the way we go and interpret that out there is going to be reflective of my filter. So if I don't agree with you in here, I'm going to put my spin on it out there. You know, yeah. and, and that just happens. That's just so normal. So unless that group gets together and works on their dynamic regularly, like bossing teeth and, you know, doing what we need to do in the morning to be fresh and start ready, then we're not going to have a very proper execution of a plan. So I think that executive teams need to get into the habit more of doing, you know, the one the ones that I work with anyway, the clients that I work with, they often say, you know, let's do this this kind of thing on a quarterly basis, if not an annual, at least on an annual basis. So we'll we'll look at our culture, we'll look at the way we're leading, we'll assess how we are, we'll give each other real feedback, we'll we'll look at the way we're making decisions, we'll pull it apart, you know, we'll be honest and we will we'll take the feedback from our people. And we need to learn because if we're not learning about how we work together better, we're, we're just missing the mark. It's all this wasted effort, right? So they get that and they just want to do it because they know it makes them better. Um, and they feel better. They just feel better. They feel more connected as human beings, right? We've actually got relationships now 
that people we care about in this team that we want to do our best for rather than just, you know, the guy in operations who keeps hassling me for the, the latest forecast, you know? So I think that it's, yeah. it's really important to, to spend time on the dynamic of the group. So it is about kind of slowing things down, spending quality time together, which often people just don't have in a yeah. busy organization, successful organization. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I was also going to say, it was your uncle who said he did that um, personality test on you. Um, is that legal still? Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's just, it's just because, like, I wish someone did that to me because I, I want to know what's the ideal job I should be doing. What you makes know, what's me the ideal think? place I should yeah. be living? What yeah. the ideal relationship I should be in? Like, if someone told me that when I was five, yeah. I wouldn't have to kind of struggle with my whole life trying to work it all out. Totally, Vince. Well, you know, reach out to me on a, on a after, <laughs> after play. We'll, we'll run you through a few personality tests and uh, a yeah, strength-based okay. test. And a, um, but look, I think there's, there's definitely more to it now. What I'm finding really interesting is that... Um, that your genetics is actually having a lot to play in a lot of these, you know, choices we make about how we perform. Mm. So, um, you know, there's another, there's all, there's a lot of organizations that are providing these tests, but I just got onto the MyDNA website the other day. Um, and it's gonna, and we're, we're gonna do it, my husband and I, because I'm like, it's gonna tell me about the kinds of foods I need to be eating and how yeah. I can get better sleep and all these other things. So yes, I totally agree in, Testing, psych testing, um, DNA testing, personality testing. I think that really, it's, it's, a, it's a journey of self-awareness, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people can call it a bit of navel-gazing, right? I'm just sort of really focusing in on myself. But if we're going to lead, we need to know what our strengths are, what our attributes are, Absolutely. what we love doing, you know, what lights us up and, um, and, and leverage those, those God-given talents and abilities that we were given to do the best we can for others. So... My number yeah. one strengths finder is uh, from the Gallup Strengths Finder is learner, and I just use that all the time. I know that that's what I'm about. It's my my yeah. purpose, um, and my my mission is to foster learning environments. You know, so it's uh it's definitely worth knowing those things. So let me know. I'll, I can help you through that, Vince. <laughs> yeah, no, I w I will do a test immediately. Um, <laughs> and and also, I, I really strongly believe in. I miss my saying sound hokey to people listening in, but as you're in Byron, you'd relate to this. Is the star signs? You know, <laughs> I think the um, the more yeah. people I meet in life, I, I thought it was really hokey originally. I think, oh God, it's just some kind of crazy thing. But the more people I meet in life, there is a pattern there. I mean, yeah. I'm a Sagittarian. Yeah, it's funny, I'm a cusp isn't it? Of Scorpion. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. some there's something there. Like it's it's not we're not just all the same. We're not just all been designed the same way to do exactly the same thing. We all have different mm -hmm. personalities for a reason, right? Yeah. And so to get an organization aligned, you make need to make sure you have the right people in the first place. Um, well, yeah. the vision, of course, but then get the right people to enact that and make that happen. Or, yeah. All the whole kind of I guess the. The, the different type of people within an organization to make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. If, if at school, I wish I'd known, you know, I kind of found design through default, but is it, it might not have been the best thing for me. I might not have been destined to be a designer. I might have mm -hmm. been, if I was smarter, maybe a brain surgeon, I don't know, like a doctor or something. I, I want to help people, but, yeah. you know, I want to truly help people to be the best they can be. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's something that I know is inside of me, and I try to yeah. act that every day in every connection I have. Um, try to be generous, etc., and try to be a creative, thriving environment. But you know, it might have been 
you know, it, 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 sometimes it's really, really hard as, as a leader of an organization mm -hmm. to sometimes you think, well, maybe I'm maybe it's not meant to be this hard. <laughs> maybe, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. I'll get Stephanie yeah. in to help me and make it easier. Um, yep. Or I'll start working out more, or I'll go get my DNA <laughs> test. I'll, like, I, I gotta find this path. I gotta find oh, this path to make my life easier. It's really important. You know, I actually work with another another thing that I do is I work with um, CEOs to help them create their like, you know, really their path to actualization. So what is it that that's going to keep lighting them up through through life? And you know, I think really it all comes down to. Um, really just knowing yourself and being as honest and truthful to yourself as you can possibly be. Um, so just, you know, really that it all boils down to just be more you and you will always find more fulfillment and more enjoyment in life and a success is whatever you define to be success as. Um, and, you know, oftentimes I work with founders who are, this is the typical founder entrepreneur profile, really creative, really um, driven, um, you, you know, really energetic and typically quite intelligent about the, you know, the, the, the creation of things, the design of things Like you are in design, but often that creative energy is a core driver for a founder. And that creative energy, that creative drive is not necessarily the thing that drives business success. Um, so quite often that the path for a founder is establish as much as they can, but then get in those people that are very good at being super organized and structured and, yeah. you know, understanding how to set up these kind of different ways, systems, financially minded, etc. Um, it's really hard to find a founder CEO with all of those attributes in the same individual. Absolutely. So, so a lot of the, the founders that I work with are about, it's really about how do we create the path out of CEO as quickly as possible for you so that you can have someone there, but you're absolutely still the, the heart, soul, creative driver of that organization as much as possible, sort of free you up away from the, the management and leadership stuff that has to happen every day and into the, how do I just get back to being what I do and what I do best, which is inspiring um, and, and kind of really looking at the product and how we make the product amazing and how we actually connect to customers and you know, because that's what founders are all about. It's that connection point. It's like it's experience that the customer has that really gets them excited. So, um, you know, and that, that can be hard because there's a lot of ego attached to being a CEO and being attached to leading an organization. And, um, you yeah. know, that, that there's a fear that you'll lose your level of authority and power and all these other things, you know, and I'm, I'm talking generally. Um, oh, yeah, hey, don't make this so personal, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, you're, getting, you're getting a bit kind of critical. I mean, so I'm saying a few, the moment is hitting a few up uh, but yeah, that is yeah. a typical journey. You know, that is a typical journey. How do you let it? How do you let it go, but still have the same level of influence and relevance? Um, and it's totally possible. It's absolutely possible. It requires some work around building a, a, a cultural system where those values keep living in the way that people are acting, um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a vision and a team who work in an aligned way. So that's, you know, it, it does boil down to some simple principles. But actually doing it, that's that's where the, the tough stuff is. So. Yeah, really knowing who you are and what motivates you and drives you is absolutely fundamental to maintaining yeah. your sense or any CEO founder sense of connection and um, relevance in an organization. Yeah, I, I, totally, I totally understand that. I mean, I know when I was shifting, trying to shift from working in the business to on the business, it was mm. significantly hard because I kept resist. I, I wanted it, but I didn't understand what it would look like. And I kept yeah. kind of sabotaging it constantly. Like just getting back into the business, getting busy and busy again. Um, 
this, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I've hired a whole bunch of smart people around me because otherwise yeah. I'd still be one person trying to you know, run the business. Nothing wrong with that if you choose to do that. But if mm. you choose to actually have a, create an, a, a larger organization to help more people and help other people enjoy the process of design, etc., then yeah, you need to change the way that you work or the way that you approach it. Um, yeah. And it, it is something that does need coaching. You also work mm -hmm. with um, professional athletes, which we kind of haven't touched on, as well as, I mean, do you see a huge difference between professional athletes and, and businesses or, or uh, leaders of organizations? Um, yeah, look, I work with professional athletes in so much as they're actually making the transition away from their sport and into, okay. into business um, or into a career path that's like different from that. But I find that really interesting because they, they often teach me a lot about the mechanics and the disciplines of sports psychology and how you can achieve as a, as a performer in sport versus switching over to a business environment. Um, I think what the biggest difference that athletes struggle with initially is this idea that to be successful in business isn't necessarily about being competitive. So in a, in a, in a sport environment, it's all about being competitive, right? It's all yeah. about winning and performing, doing your personal best on the field every day. Um, yeah. And, you know, and being seen and noticed above your teammates, particularly when you're trying to move up through the, the layers and the levels of professional sport to reach the pinnacle, you do need to outshine your, your teammates to a certain extent, you know, work with them, but outshine them. So it's a delicate balance. But when you work in business, it's no longer about being competitive. You don't want, you don't want to outwin your peers and your colleagues. You need to win with them. And so... It's not necessarily just about delivering the kind of the result and the number each week. It is that's important, but what's also really important is actually creating a culture where people can achieve together and work together and align together. So it's switching that competitive mindset to an achievement mindset and sharing that win and seeing that their win is your win. And you know that's the that's the kind of the mental shift that I see athletes need to make. But um, you know I, I learn so much because they've got such discipline around how mm. they structure their days and their weeks in order to perform. And I think in business, we have a lot to learn about discipline in regards to your mental, physical, and emotional health in order to be your best at work. So we have a lot to learn from, from the sporting industry about that. It's interesting, yeah, and, and interesting how someone who's 100% dedicated to doing the thing that they love and being very competitive about it, mm. they, they, they over time, they created their own, by default, I don't know if it's by default, but they created their own brand because they've stood out. And I guess what you're talking about, people then shift into business opportunities or television or media, it's because they stood out as a brand or as a personality. And it's, it's, it's quite interesting that, isn't it? Because it doesn't mean they're good at presenting, it doesn't mean they're good at being you know, a, a brand. They're, yeah. they're good at what they were doing before. So that, that must be really exciting to, to work with people to help them transition successfully into that you know new opportunity on the back yeah. of that success yeah and look i love that vince my husband's a brand and comms and marketing passionate you know guy much like yourself and um, we talk about brand a lot we talk about personal brand versus organization brand and business brand a lot um and i and i just think with the advent of linkedin and the rise of linkedin having that that personal brand that grows as much as how you support the organizational brand that you're with I love mm. seeing those two things go together because yeah. your career will live beyond the organizations you're with typically if, unless you own it and you're growing it yourself. And even then, 
your career will probably outlive the organisations you're part of because you'll probably join more, yeah. be- become a director or an investor or all those other things. So your personal brand, um, you know, the way that you position yourself as a business leader, entrepreneur, team player, you know, all those things uh, will impact the, the, the success, your personal success as much as the organization's success. And I actually think that's a really big thing people are looking at now when they're making choices about whether they join organizations or not. So that employee value proposition, that, that employer brand, mm-hmm. is massively influenced by how the leaders and executives yeah. of a business um, reveal themselves on platforms like LinkedIn and social media. So do I want to work with that person who has those opinions and likes those things and supports those causes? And, you know, the, the brand sounds great on the website, but are the individuals in there, the way that they actually communicate online, is that in line with what the brand says that they're going to be? And and employee, employees are looking at that now. You know, they're actually looking at how you support and encourage and, and assign and align yourself with with the content that you share online. So really thinking about that is really important, you know, actually having a personal brand and um, being clear about what you're going to get behind um, is great for, for you, but it's also going to have an impact on how newcomers or potential new employees are going to perceive the organization, your organization that you that you lead. Fantastic. Yeah. It's definitely brilliant. Um, I just wanted to say, um, before we wrap up, have you designed your life? I sound like you have. <laughs> I'm working on it, Vince. I'm working on it. I'm working on a design of, uh, you know, obviously working my, my own business so I have maximum freedom. Um, and my only proviso in my practice is that I have, I work, only work the, the, the non-school holidays. So I work 40 weeks a year. So I get to have the school holidays off with my kids, which is really important to me. Um, oh, they are still nice. school age and they, they, uh, they, they, Miss me a lot when I'm traveling interstate during the during the school term, but I um I make sure that I'm there for them on school holidays. So, um you know if if I'm designing my life, living from Byron, working forty weeks a year, and I get to work with incredible people, then I definitely feel like I, I've given myself a big tick. But my um my way forward, my opportunity, my possibility is really for me about feeling far more. Um, I guess sustained in a health and well-being kind of way. So you know, to the points that you're making before, my fit and my healthy, I, I, I could definitely give myself a, an amber out of the <laughs> out of the traffic light system there. So I need to start prioritizing my my own well-being so I can sustain this level of delivery for a long period of time and continue to enjoy it. But um, you know, I've got the the ocean at my doorstep, so I really have no excuse to get out there, Vince, and enjoy it. <laughs> It's, it sounds like you guys are having an incredible life and, a, and congratulations on, on that and, and amazing you continue to help all these different organizations around the world. I look on LinkedIn and you're all over the, you're flying all over the place, which is really, really cool. Yeah, it's um, So continue with that. Um, and it's at a time when uh, that all of us in, in tougher times need to be the best we can be just to survive. Uh, but uh, thank you so much, Stephanie, for today. It's been such a, I'm so, I'm so happy we bumped into each other at the ECO uh, event uh, last year. Uh, learned a lot today from you and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will um, uh, really benefit from our conversation. How do people get hold of you? Oh, they can uh, check out my website. So stephaniebown.com. Note the bound, it's not brown. A lot of, I was with a, on, the, on the phone yesterday with somebody who said, oh, your, your name's spelled wrong on your website. <laughs> I said, no, it's actually bound, um, which was hilarious. So I got a, Good tickle out of that. So yeah, stephaniebown.com. Yeah. You can find me there. 
Okay, sweet. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Vince. It's been a real joy talking with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Your Life with organizational psychologist Stephanie Bowne. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes recorded live in London with a bunch of brilliant guests. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.